really fired up to do the lesson, but I'm kind of tired after all that we've been doing so far today. This is got a lot going on here, and it's uh, it's great to hear about. And I really want to thank Ed for uh, filling in and doing a slide for me, so that I won't be slideless. I know how how shameful that that can be. Um, you know, but but it, but as Ed said, the 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 the, the subject, the, the title of tonight's lesson is "As Goes My Treasure, So Goes My Heart." Um, really appreciate the opportunity to speak on this. It's kind of ironic, actually, though, because you know, if you were to ask my wife, if you were to say, "Deanna, what are what are some of the things that that Tim just probably shouldn't be speaking about?" and and, and, and she would say, "Well." Well, there's a lot. You know, can you narrow down the question a little bit? I don't know where to start. And if you said, well, maybe if you could just pick the top five things that Tim just really isn't qualified to talk about. And she lists out those five. Somewhere in those five would be something about the heart or anything about the heart, for that matter. Maybe Tim shouldn't be speaking about. And, you know, it's true. I, I, I struggle with that. It's not a strong suit of, of mine. Maybe, maybe some of you can uh, relate. But the text that we're going to be in today, and it's in Luke 12, and if you'd like to start turning there is really encouraging for, uh, for emotional dullards uh, like myself. Uh, Jesus gives us some really practical ways to, do, to deal with this complicated heart of ours. So if you don't mind, let's just jump right in. In Luke 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. <clears throat> Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. You know, the, the Bible is not at all short on passages and, 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 and uh, teachings on Giving, sacrificing, making offers, uh, offerings, giving to the poor, uh, stewardship of money. You know, as Ed alluded to last week, it's, it's kind of uh, sad, in, in fact, that we don't talk about it a lot more um, in, in our fellowship because it's, it's packed through the Bible from Genesis through uh, Revelation. And, and likewise, we're given a lot of reasons why we should give and, and why we should treat our money in a spiritual way. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're told that it's a command. Right? We're, uh, we're, we're encouraged to give out of gratitude to God. Um, we, we know that it all belongs to God anyway. Right? Um, we're, we're told even in, in some passages of the Bible that it, 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 will, it will yield blessings to us. And any one of those is a sufficient reason 
to uh, have a spiritual mindset toward our wealth and, and be generous with it. But this particular passage that we just read today, just now, does something a little unique in, in that it, it links this idea of giving um, and, it, and the opposite of giving, which would be materialism, to, to worry. Um, and, and the NIV that I just read from calls it worry. If you look at the, uh, the English Standard Version, it uses the word anxiety. It talks about being anxious. And, you know, I think we can all relate, no matter what age we are in here, no matter what our life circumstance is, I think we can all relate to the horror that can be brought on by worry, anxiety. Um, it paralyzes us. It, it eats away at our peace. It makes the quality of life uh, next to nothing. And, and it paralyzes us spiritually. It makes us ineffective for God. And if, if, if you consider Matthew 13, you don't have to turn there, but... But we get the parable of the sower. And in Jesus, of course, he talks about the, the, the sower. He's tossing this seed in various places. It's going on different kinds of soil. And the disciples ask him to explain this parable. And in verse 22 of chapter 13, he talks about the thorns. And he says that the thorns that the seed falls among, they represent the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. So, you know, we, we, got, we got this similar concept here of, our, of ourselves being spiritually stunted. He says that chokes out the word and makes us ineffective. By, by the, the worries of this life. You know, what are the worries of this life? Well, there are too many to, to list, but, but I imagine that he's referring to the same thing in our text today in Luke 12 when he refers to the things that the pagan world runs after. Right. You know, when we run after the things that the world runs after... We are sure to increase our worries at some point along the line. And, and forgive me for bouncing between two texts, but, but going back to Matthew 13, 22, he couples the worries of this life with this one-two punch of, of, of the deceitfulness of wealth. Right? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth stunt us, make us ineffective, make us unproductive. You know, the deceitfulness of wealth... How does that relate to the worries of this life? I think one way is that they, they, they convince us that, that wealth can solve our problems, right? Wealth is the answer. And, you know, we, should, we shouldn't be too hard on wealth. We should give it its due. Money can solve some problems, right? If, if you need a new battery for your car, you get some money. You can buy the battery, your car now runs again. That, let, let's be practical. Money can solve some problems. If you're about to get thrown out of your home because you haven't paid the rent and you're a couple thousand dollars behind and somehow, some way, through someone, you come into that money, you're not going to get thrown out of your house today like you thought you were. You know, money does solve that problem. But the deceit is, is that when it convinces us that it can solve our biggest problems, and, and, and especially the big problem. And, and my big problem, in fact, my only real problem, is sin. Yeah. You know, of all the worldly problems that I have going on, and as horrific as, as some of the things I worry about would be if they came to pass, as long as I'm faithful, they're temporary. They're, they're going to go away at some point, and, and I have no real problems. But sin, on the other hand, if it is allowed to take root... And I remain deceived. Well, that has eternal consequences. And that can turn me away uh, in, in a way that is, is a problem. Right? That is a problem that I can't solve. And that's a problem, by the way, that money can't solve. 
You know, no amount of money can fix my sin. No amount of money can buy me forgiveness, buy me salvation. God, on the other hand, is inclined to give it for free. And if we look in verse 32 of the text, we're going to settle into Luke 12 again. <laughs> but in verse 32, it says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You know, God can solve our problems. Money cannot solve our biggest problem. God is pleased to give us the kingdom. So what are we worried about? Why are we worried? I think that one reason, at least in my case, quite frankly, sometimes the kingdom isn't enough for me. And when I think about the Israelites, God made them into a, a mighty nation, just like he promised Abraham he would. And, and they find themselves in Egypt and they become so mighty that they, they intimidate the Egyptians and they become enslaved. And then God delivers them from slavery. He delivers them from bondage. And he takes them out into the desert, telling them that he's going to lead them to the promised land. He's going to take them to the place that they've always belonged, flowing with milk and honey. For all intents and purposes, almost paradise, right? But yet they're out there in Exodus 32, and they get tired of waiting. The promise of the kingdom is not enough. This man Moses has been gone. I don't know where he is. We don't know when he's coming back or if he's coming back. I need something now. Give me an, a God that I can follow now. Give me a God that looks like what the other nations follow. Give me something I can put my hands on. Give me something that can comfort me right now. You know, and you look at us, it's the exact same story, right? We've been freed from the bondage of sin. And we've been promised the kingdom in, in countless different ways. And yet, what do we do? We chase after the false gods of our age. We run after money, prestige, advancement, added comfort, social acceptance. We run after these things. And when we bow down and worship these false gods, what do they give us in return? They give us shaken marriages. Even, even, even a pagan, since we're on the pagan topic here, even a pagan can tell you that... Uh, Money and fights over money are, are one of the biggest threats to, to the modern marriage, right? You, you, uh, you end up with neglected children. You know, your ambitions that you chase after are too intense to bring your children along with you. And even when you're not actively chasing after them, you're too tired to parent in a way that you should. You trade the slavery of sin for the slavery of debt. We buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have. To look like people that were never, were never going to accept us. Right? We sacrifice sound spiritual decisions for things like career decisions. And, and other worldly decisions that look good from a worldly point of view but are disastrous from a spiritual point of view. Why? Why do we do this? I think that... It's wrong to blame it all on the deceitfulness of wealth. I think wealth plays its part, but it has an accomplice, a much more intimate accomplice, and that's our hearts. All right? If you go to Jeremiah uh, 17, verse 9, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but most of you probably know what I'm about to say. What does it say? It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
It says it's beyond cure. It says who can understand it? That's the NIV version. If you go to the ESV, it says it's desperately sick. Your heart is desperately sick and deceitful. So what are we supposed to do? We've got this heart. We talk about the heart all the time, right? I want to I want to I want to I want to have a good heart, not a bad heart. I want to have a soft heart, not a hard heart. I want to have an open heart, not a closed heart. I got to have a heart for this and a heart for that. I want my heart to be right. And yet we're told that this is a this is a dangerous beast to be messing with. It's it's not something that's safe to dance with casually, right? These hearts. You know, let me, so what are we to do, right? How are we to live? Well, I'd like to give an illustration of how we are not to live in light of this. And if, if you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians, we're going to go to chapter 9. All right. this, is a, this actually is a text on giving. And it, it, Paul is, is imploring the church in Corinth to, to contribute to this fund that he's raising for the, uh, the, the, the disciples in Jerusalem. And he says to them in verse 6... <clears throat> He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me tell you what, um, what I often do with this passage and, and how I apply it and how I see some of you apply it as well. You know, an opportunity comes along to give. An opportunity comes along to be generous, to serve, to sacrifice. Maybe go help Robert out with Union Mission on Saturday, right? And you know that you should do it, right? You know it's, that is a good that you could and should do. And you also know that you really don't have a good reason not to. If you give me a minute, I'll come up with one that I'll even use to convince myself. But, but at first blush, there's no reason why I shouldn't do this. But then I say, you know, my heart is just not there right now. My heart's just not in this. I know I should, but I, but I don't feel it in my heart. You know? And it, surely I don't want to do it reluctantly. Right? Surely I don't want to do it under compulsion. Right? God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to pass on this one. I'm going to skip it. And I'm going to go work on my heart. I'd like somebody to diagram that for me sometime. What, what does that mean? But I'm going to go work on my heart. And I'm going to get my heart right. And the next time it comes around, I'll be in the right place and I can give cheerfully. And that will please God. And I would say to you that that is, those are the musings of a deceitful heart, right? And to follow that would be very unproductive for Christ. You know, Paul says in verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, I will concede that that means the heart plays some role. Perhaps the heart is the setting in which these decisions are made. I really don't know how it works. But it does not say or even insinuate that the heart has 51% of the vote on what gets done. The heart does not lead me when it comes to doing the will of God. I am not a victim of my deceitful heart. And Jesus hits on that 
We'll go back over to our main text. If you forgot what that is, it's Luke 12. But in Luke 12, in verse, I want to say 33. Huh? Just say it, right? Don't want to say it? Just say it. Um, it says in verse 33 of, of chapter 12 of the book of Luke, Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is hugely encouraging for me. You know, if, if I were ignorant of this text, and you were to strike up a conversation with me asking me how I can store up treasure in heaven, and how I could somehow have my heart in heaven. You know, outside of this text, I would think, well, that just sounds crazy. That's impossible. I, I'm here on earth. You know, as, as righteous as I want to try to be, that's, that doesn't work. But God, Jesus, here in this text tells us, you do the will of God. You be open-handedly generous the way I have taught you to be, the way God has been with you. You do that, and I'll take care of that heart of yours. You don't need to fix it. You can't. It's incurable. You know, this, this is incredibly encouraging to me, as I said earlier. You know, because, quite frankly, you know, I don't always feel a connection with God. I just want to confess that. You know, uh, Donnie Labud and I were studying the Bible with this guy a couple of days ago, and we read the, the Matthew 7 passage uh, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will, will be saved, but, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And if you're familiar with the passage, you know that, that Jesus says people will come to him and say, but, but, but we prophesied and we did all these signs and we did these things. But, but Jesus says to him, I never knew you. You're, you're going to have to go away. You can't come. And, and I, I swear to you, every time I say that or I hear someone else say it, it gives me chills. Because I think to myself, God, you know, never let it be that I would fall into that, to, to becoming religious, to becoming an empty, an empty hypocrite. I, I can see it happening to me. You know, I, I, I'm, we're not immune to it. It's very frightening to me. And, and, and as I said earlier, I, I don't always, this idea of knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus, I, I, I can't say that I always feel that. Right? I, I have my faith. I have the word of God. It's strong. It guides my life. But it doesn't always comfort me, like on the feeling level. You know, um, my, my wife will get up in the morning and go sit on the side of the couch by the window where she has her quiet time. And she'll read like one and a half verses from the Bible and then catch a glimpse of a goose migrating south and immediately fall into this ecstatic meditative trance of communion <laughs> with God. And, so, you know, and, and I'll come downstairs sometimes and I'll think she's dead. And I go, this is it. Today's the day. You know? You, you know but, but, I, but I don't have that. You know, I, I have, I'm, I'm left to kind of fight it out on the practical level. But Jesus here in this passage tells me this isn't this isn't mysticism. This isn't emotional. Uh, uh, this isn't swimming in the emotions. This isn't, this isn't the dangerous waters of the heart that I have to navigate by myself. It's practical. Amen. Just do the will of God through your generosity. Give to the poor. Serve. Sacrifice. It's not complicated. 
You know, this, uh, it reminds me of, of, of one last passage that I'm going to ask you to turn to. And it's in the book of Acts. And, and I read this years before I became a Christian. I'll never forget reading this. It's in Acts chapter 10. And it, and it, it hit me powerfully then. Um, but in Acts chapter 10, we get introduced to Cornelius. And, and a lot of you know that Cornelius is the, is the first Gentile we see uh, in the Bible to get uh, converted by Peter. It was a big deal. It's a big deal to us as fellow Gentiles. You know, that, that's awesome. We're fired up about that. But, but in, in Acts 10, starting in verse 1, it, it introduces us to, our, to Cornelius. And it, and it tells us what set this in motion. You know, I'll just start in verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Let me just stop right there. Now, I know that everyone in here is intimately familiar with the book of Leviticus, right? <laughs> it, this, this, this idea of a memorial offering. The angel told him that your, your gifts and your prayers have come up as a memorial offering to God. In Leviticus 2, Leviticus is a book of instruction to, to how the priests are to conduct worship to God. And, it, and it, it, it's heavily uh, focused on sacrifices, offerings, things of that nature. And, and we, we know that when, 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 the, when the Israelites took over the promised land, uh, every tribe got its own allotment of land except the Levites. God said, the Levites, I will be their portion. And, and what you got to understand is that land wasn't just a place where you like, locked up your belongings. Land was your livelihood. It produced an income. It produced food. It produced crops. You grazed your, your animals there. So not having land was a big deal, but God said, I'm going to be the, the portion for the, for the Levites. So, you know, when, when people would, when a, when, when a non-Levite, somebody from the tribe of Judah or, or some other tribe would come and make a sacrifice, God would accept that sacrifice, but then more often than not, it would end up in the hands of the Levites or the priests so that they could eat. They could have something to eat, right? Because they had no other means. But in Leviticus, it talks about this idea of a memorial portion of the sacrifice. And I, I didn't study it out really in depth. It, it seems to be often talking about grain, but, but God would say, when you come do this sacrifice, I want you to take a portion of it and I want it to be completely burnt up, completely consumed. It's not going to be passed on. It's not going to be saved. You're going to completely burn this memorial portion of the sacrifice. And, and this part you'll remember, it will rise up as a soothing aroma to God. That's something you remember, right? That's what they're, they're talking about here. Now, let's, now back to Cornelius. Right? Cornelius was not Jewish. He was not an Israelite. He had no place in temple worship. He was, a, he was a Roman occupier. And at this time, he wasn't even a disciple. And yet, his generosity, along with his prayer, was rising up to God and getting his attention in the same way that the holy sacrifices by a consecrated priest we're doing in the temple. Amen. Yeah, I want to be known by God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you want to be known by God. 
I, I want to be recognized by Jesus on that day. You know, and, and I want to be known and recognized for a lot of things. But, you know, just you know, let it not be that, that we allow our worries and our anxieties, our greed, our idolatry to hinder and choke out the generosity that God expects from us. You know, let us rather be a people that do indeed store up treasures in heaven and in doing so secure a place for our heart there. Let's break for our groups. Amen.